I'm Julian Brandt and you're listening to Scouted Chance. Hello everyone and thank you for joining us for episode 3 of Scouted Says. I'm Jack Grimsey alongside Connor Garrett as always and we got a special guest today, Stephen Ganavis. How's it going Steve? Good, thank you. How are you? Good and Connor of course, sorry to drop you to second <laughs> priority. I know you're my co-host <laughs> but... Well, you know, you know, I've had two lovely weeks of fine treatment and, you know, after three weeks it does get old so we have to relight the spark i think jack yeah yeah i think so i mean we we keep trying to bring everyone else in of course steve's kind of the the overlord at scouted right now as we talked a little bit about last week with tom <laughs> but since you know tom was away for a while and steve kind of really took over so if you if you want to talk about that for a minute a minute later on we'll get to that but we're going to open with a game that connor actually went to it was england versus italy u21 and it finished 3-2 with a, a stoppage time winner fantastic game yeah i mean it was in southampton so i could just walk down absolutely brilliant scenes there and the game itself was uh, really entertaining as well really early goal from uh, leicester's damari gray um opened it up and uh, it really looked as if uh, england were in the ascendancy, um, Gray had two other really good opportunities that he actually forged himself um, before Italy sort of also quite early on equalised for a really free cone goal. It sort of deflected in. Everyone thought it had gone over because obviously there's no Italy fans there um, and ah. so there, was no, there was no crowd noise. Uh, so the ball had gone in. All of the England players had just sort of reacted as if they were walking towards the centre like center line. Um, the Italy players weren't really celebrating because it was an own goal. And then, yeah, we sort of realised... <laughs> about a minute later that had gone in when they announced the goal We're like, yeah mental um, and then yeah went to lead by a very good corner and then yeah Lewis Baker I think he was uh, alone of the test last season if I'm correct um, equalised um, before with the last kick of the game Jack Stevens, former Swindon legend currently at Southampton scored with the last kick of the game it was, it was great it was, a, it was a really really dramatic finish to the uh, the game and I think England looked really really good yeah I didn't I didn't see it but was reading about it and I know Aston Villa's Pierluigi Gallini was in goal made an initial save and then Stevens was able to poke home the winner so yeah f- fantastic scenes for you uh Steve I think it's crazy that there were no Juventus Napoli AC Milan or Inter Milan players in Italy's starting 11 you know what is what does that say about how Italy's youth I, I youth think setup is working right now I think that is kind of the way it's been for a long time generally without because Italian teams don't have B teams like they do in Spain and Germany for example and the Netherlands I think Italian teams have struggled generally the main ones to to blood youth because the youth competition the Primavera is just not really that good Juventus have a couple of guys coming up but they're not Italian except for Moise Keane who's 16 and he's playing for the under 17s AC Milan have Locatelli and Donnarumma but Locatelli's in the under 19s and Donnarumma's in the main team Inter have had their own struggles so I just think generally Italian teams prefer to or the big teams at least prefer to take the cream of the crop from elsewhere and I think that's just how it's been for a long time and it's not just now but it's really generational problem for the big teams you know it's, it's kind of like england as well as some of the the players aren't getting yeah, a chance same. to break yeah. through in their clubs at the top level and another crazy stat for this match england hadn't beaten italy at this level since 1997 almost 20 years yeah, i mean yeah. absolutely great scenes and um i mean what steve was saying about the the top clubs in italy struggling to blood players i think does definitely relate to England. A lot of the top performers were are not at, from yesterday were not at top clubs. Obviously, Gray is at Leicester, who, despite winning the league, are not a massive club. Jack Stevens, obviously, the winner from Southampton. And then you looked at a lot of players in that team, and I mean, the key the key player probably is James Ward Prowse, who's also at Southampton. So, I mean, 
I think I, it's just a modern football thing rather I, than... I think the telling problem is you look at the under-21 teams of Spain and you look at the under-21 teams of Germany, two leagues that have their B teams and stuff. If you look at those two teams, you could you, you know nearly 80 to 90% of the players. Whereas you look at England's under-21s and you look at Italy's under-21s, how many of them are, are making their big break in you know top leagues? For Italy, you've got Benassi, Petagna, uh, Conti at Atalanta and Golini pretty much. And for England, you've got uh, Chambers, Hayden, Ward-Prowse, Redmond, and Hughes at championship level, and Gray, and what more, you know, pinch hit in the the Premier League. Apart from that, there's not really much at top (laughs) level. Yeah, and it's not even necessarily players who are very established in even the second division, you know, like Will Hughes and Callum Chambers, who was... Really, really promising a couple of years ago, kind of has faded since. I mean, yeah, if he's faded, he's still in the U21 team. But um, what I was going to say is it's it's maybe better as a youth player to come up through somewhere like Southampton where you're going to get a chance to play at the top level. And Italy's second goal scorer when they went ahead, uh, 2-1, Federico Di Francesco, he's playing at Bologna. And, you know, like like I mentioned, no one at, at Juve Napoli, AC or Inter Milan. I guess Inter's not really at the top but, this year, but, but even talk the, about... A lot of these players yeah. aren't even starting often at their smaller clubs. Like, uh, you've got Michael Benassi, who starts regularly for Torino, Petania, Conti for Atalanta, and Golini. But apart from that, they're not playing week in, week out in Serie A. So I think that's a bit of a problem. Yeah, it's definitely. I think it's definitely an issue not to be playing regular football. And you mentioned Atalanta. I think we'll talk about them a little bit later on the show. Kind of a crazy year in Serie so far. (laughs) But now we can move on to Tim Sherwood. And he's going to Swindon Town. And I know Connor knows a lot about them. So... (laughs) Yeah, and I know you know a lot about Tim Sherwood as well, so it's, it's sort of perfect for the podcast, I guess, with the, the two co-hosts and their uh, yeah, emphasis on Tim Sherwood's career. Yeah, and the, that win ratio, which of course was the best in the Premier League until he <laughs> went to Aston Villa and then couldn't couldn't buy a win, couldn't you know couldn't tactics Tim as a way to win. And I think a big issue for me with with Tim Sherwood as a Villa fan was his failure at substitutions last year Villa were up 2-0 against Leicester in the fall and he put on a striker when he should have done what Arsene Wenger does and put on a defender on like I don't know 60-70 minutes and of course Villa ended up blowing the game losing 3-2 and the seasons went the opposite way that was the game I think when Leicester started to realize they could do it but anyway um, I think Sherwood will be okay okay at that level yeah, I mean, I think it's a different proposition to managing in the uh, Premier League, which is obviously much tougher than the third division. Um, I don't, I think, I don't necessarily think he'll suit with the way that Swindon have sort of been playing the last few years. I mean, since twenty thirteen, they've sort of been one of the best footballing teams in the division, even if they're not been towards the top of the league in a lot of those seasons. Um, it's it sort of look, you, you sort of identify them as sort of this short passing team who. Um, uh, a little bit lightweight at the back, but are quite interesting going forward. I mean, that's not really happened so much this season, the interest going forward, because you can't buy a goal, basically. Um, but it's interesting also from a scouting point of view in the sense that like the oldest players in the squad are 26. Um, the average age is about 23, and most of the players are under 23. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what Sherwood does with that. He's already said that he's uh, interested in bringing a few older players, but um, I think... Because he's sort of probably most he's he's been most successful in 
as well as sort of bringing it through youth. Um, a lot of the players that have uh, come through Spurs in the last few years were coached by Tim Sherwood at youth level. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what we can do with the players that are in their, their early 20s um, at Swindon. And it'll be interesting to see who we can bring in. He was already talking about like the likes of Ryan Mason um, and Alex Pritchard, who were on loan at Swindon like three years ago, um, and what being at Swindon did for them, and if he can repeat that. Um, but yeah, I think it's as a as a Swindon fan, there's been a lot of discontent around the club recently because of yeah certain owners that aren't particularly good, and it's at least a statement of intent going forward that yeah we're not trying to go down, which was uh, almost like what some of us were believing at some at certain points. So You'll be I mean, it's got to be nervous nervous for you this year in 21st in League One. That's a relegation spot right now. Yeah, and I mean, I think there isn't really much sort of around the club that is positive or was positive until yesterday when the owner sort of, he's brought Sherwood in and sort of made a few sort of statements of intent um, outside of that as well with like removing press bans from certain local newspapers and stuff like that. So he sort of looked at, I don't know, making the fans a little bit happier um, and like, yeah, hope that Sherwood can uh, can do it. And I mean, Saturday is going to be on TV against Charlton Athletics. So let's see if the revolution starts there, I guess. I mean, last year, Barnsley, I think, went up having been in the relegation zone at Christmas. Uh, so it is possible still, um, but I think hopefully this can be the thing that turns them around and brings some younger players through as well. Yeah, and I'll get back to the second. Um, I, w- I had a question for Steve, I guess. I know, Connor, you just said it's a lot harder managing in the Premier League than in League One. Of of course, I mean, obviously, you know, top managers go to the top, but it's a different it's a different kind of challenge. Some managers could have some money in the top division and not do as well with it you know Sherwood didn't have a great transfer record I think with Villa and now he'll be he'll be a little more limited in his funds and have to you know have to make some really really tough decisions regarding personnel so anyway Steve I guess my question is do you think it's something that he's up to I don't know I I just think at the at that level it's a long season uh the difference between teams isn't massive so I think that a good manager coming in, especially one with Premier League experience, as much as people will laugh at Tim Sherwood's Premier League experience, should be able to improve the team and at least take them to safety this season and try to push them next season. I think the players will be somewhat important, but at the end of the day, it's not like it's you know Manchester United compared to Burnley types of um, income disparity it's not a massive difference between the quality of players so I think if, if Sherwood uh, wants to prove himself again wants to get another big job in the future he will have to at least bring them to safety this season and hopefully take them up next season yeah I think I think you're right there's not the the talent gap or the disparity in in wealth at, at that level and the thing that always struck me with Sherwood is that a lot of times he can turn a draw into a loss but other times he could turn a draw into a win so if they're going to be playing really attacking football, you know you could you're going to lose some games, but others that maybe you weren't going to win, you you'll end up winning in three points, and you'll go up the table. So, and I think in, that, in a really long season like the English low league seasons are, that's massively important. Draws, you know, you sacrifice one draw for a loss and one draw for a win, and it's you know one point positive every time. So I think exactly you yeah you're really doing doing well there. So let's let's get back to. Southampton and I know that's that's where that match was Connor but we I know you wanted to talk about a little bit about what they do and really they have they have a good youth emphasis I think if us at scouted were running a club in England 
it would it would be Southampton. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think they're probably doing it even better than we could, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, I would hope so. I mean, it, it is the job, <laughs> but no, yeah. it's it's been fantastic there the past couple of years. And even though they've undergone all the managerial and personnel changes, they you know they just restocked the cupboards. Yeah, and I mean, uh, if you look at the team at the moment, there's three players that have been stalwarts in recent weeks and months uh, of the team that are 21. Um, James Will Prowse, who mentioned earlier, is sort of the leading light of the uh, the under-21 team, I would say. Uh, he skippers them, and I would back him on the form this season to eventually make the step up, step up to um, full international level for England. Um, I mean, there's been so much said about his midfield partner, Pierre-Emil uh, Hoibiag. Um, like he is so special, and there's a reason he was at Bayern Munich as a youth player and has played at clubs like Schalke and Augsburg as well. Um, has got a very good record of qualifying for Europe, um, has done it, I think, every season of his uh, professional career. So that speaks to Southampton. Um, but as as a 21-year-old, he has a long way to develop and is already so, so able. Um, and then coming into the team very recently has been Sam McQueen, who is quite an interesting story. He's been playing as a left-back, um, but he sort of came through as a youth player, um, as a sort of a striker or an attacking midfielder. So, yeah, or a winger as well. Um, so he, it's been interesting. It's like to a, see reverse, a reverse Gareth Bale. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, maybe he'll do the Southampton thing of going from a left back back up forward, um, which uh, Bell obviously did. Yeah, I mean, it's been really interesting to see how his actual defensive side of his game is really, really strong. And I mean, if you now look at that, uh, if you look at the cohort of players that are about 21 that have come out of Southampton, you now have Sam McQueen alongside Luke Shaw and Matt Target, who are all left backs that are actually playing well in the Premier League. Uh, so, and, and Ryan Bertrand. Yeah, I mean, Ryan Bertrand's slightly different in the sense that he was bought from Chelsea and is a little bit older. But yeah, from, from the youth cohort, you've got three left-backs at the club that are produced in the same year that are all very good for the Premier League. Obviously, that's speaking wonders for restocking the talent because the cupboard, sorry, uh, because, you know, when Luke Shaw left, it was sort of like, well, what's going to happen? Obviously, Bertrand came in in the short term. But I think now you're looking at Target McQueen and you're like, I mean, one of these two could become a very, very good top half Premier League player. So, yeah, it's been it's going to be really interesting to see how those three progress over the course of the season. Um, I'd imagine even more will come through, like Jake Hesketh maybe is one of the next to make it on his way, make it make his way through. Um, so, yeah, uh, I don't know what you guys think uh, about the uh, about those guys. Yeah, Stephen, I think it's really interesting how Southampton their squad is a blend of a lot of really young players and then you look at their forwards Jay Rodriguez he's 27 Charlie Austin 27 Shane Long 29 so that I think they have a lot of experience up there and their center backs um you know uh, Jose Font and Mayashida they're 32 and 28 respectively so they're they're blending that experience but they have youth at a lot of positions yeah firstly I have to say I'm a massive James Will Prowse fan I think he's a fantastic player but firstly I think so they just have a great coach. And when you've got a great coach, that mix of experience and youth can just be so so magical in a sense. You've got players like, as you said, Font. Um, I love um, Van Dyke and centre-back as well. So they've got a strong core. And then you have players, James Lord Prowse, uh, Matt Target, even Jody Clasi, and Buffal. So I found Buffal who can... They don't have to control the game, but they can play their part and that they know that there's going to be someone that will pick up the slack if they're not playing well or someone that will play understudy to them if they're playing really well. So I think that's important. 
that blend. Yeah, and then they, if Fraser Forster is a fantastic goalkeeper, and then Dusan Tadic, he can he can change the game. And I think Nathan Redmond was a really good signing. They bought him from Norwich. He's still only 22, so they've really their transfer policy is really commendable, and they've they've had a lot of success in the market. Just a side note as well is that um, I mean the Czech Trade Trophy is a joke, and um, they probably shouldn't be in it. Um, but Southampton are one of the only sort of Premier League Championship clubs that have played a youth academy team and sort of taken it seriously this season. I think they were the only one that won their group um, and have progressed to the, the second round. Um, and yeah, um, the, the youth coach, Martin Hunter, seems to be doing a really, really good job because, uh, yeah, so many of these youth players are actually already in the first team and then he's sort of just got some even younger players to fill their places and then they're doing well against men's teams. This conveyor line of talent that starts with like Bale, Walcott and so on is only going to continue. Yeah, and as a youth player coming through there, it, it would be fantastic to be able to look at the track record of players before you and say, oh, I'm going to get a chance at this club. You know, you come up at Man City or wherever, and maybe you never have a chance to get into the team. And I think we actually could transition that because you wanted to talk about Loris Karius, who was at Manchester City, and then they let him go for Freedom Mines, who sold him to Liverpool this summer for about $6 million. Yeah, I'm profiling him for the second handbook for Scouted. Um, and I absolutely love him. He's such a good player. Um, he was brilliant at Mainz last season. 30 clean sheets in 91 appearances in the Bundesliga. Not necessarily all down to him because the defence plays a part in that, but he was excellent all season last year, and it was it looked like it would be such a huge loss for him to go to Liverpool. Um, I think you've already seen him at Liverpool come in uh, to the team as they start to sort of look like a, a really, really competent force going forward, pushing for the title even maybe, because he missed the start of the season, but has come in and uh, not really conceded that many goals. Also not kept a great deal of clean sheets, but I mean, Klopp likes to play this sort of bombastic football that potentially not going to be the best defensively. And I think when... Yeah, who, ne- who needs a clean sheet when you got three points? You know, let's entertain the fans and have it be 3-1 or 4-2. You don't need to grind out a 1-0. Yeah, and I mean, uh, maybe there are questions to be asked about that. Like, they, he probably could defend a little bit better and still score those goals. Um, I think a lot of that is sort of maybe even personal issues, issues in the defence. Like, Alberto Moreno is not even a, a Premier League player and he's at Liverpool and playing regularly. Um, yeah, I but, mean, that's why we've seen James Milner stepping in. I love the heck. Exactly, and I think Loris Karius is a goalkeeper that regardless of a bad defence can win you points on his own in certain games and you put him in a big game, it won't phase him. Uh, I mean, he was absolutely fantastic when they beat, uh, Mainz beat Bayern Munich in the, uh, in the uh, Rook Runder last season. So it's um, going to be really exciting to see how he does over the whole season. I think he's, uh, he's going to be quite a popular figure in the Premier League as well. So it's, yeah, it's really promising to see him starting so well in his, um, in his six starts so far. Yeah, he's allowed six goals in those six starts. One was a clean sheet. It was the only game they didn't win with him in that. It was that scoreless draw against Man United. And Liverpool are unbeaten still since match day two when they lost to Burnley. But Steve, six goals for Liverpool last week. And, you know, you don't you don't need the, the keeper to do a whole lot in that situation. <laughs> exactly right. But he, Mane Coutinho is fantastic. But Karius, I think, is definitely an upgrade on Mignolet. So... In the long run, I don't think Mignolet really has a place in the club, which is exciting because Karius will, I think he'll fit in with club system really well. And I think goalkeepers are just becoming almost the 11th outfield player these days. And yeah, someone like Karius, they can play decently on the ground and is also much better in goal than Mignolet will be important for Liverpool. Yeah, I know Klopp 
loves having a goalkeeper that can use his feet, you know, because in really in distributing distributing the ball and keeping possession is obviously a big thing for for him. I mean, it should be for anyone, but he he literally won't allow it if if you can't do that. Yeah, speaking of some more Germans, I guess we had Karius and, and Klopp, but uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about Kai Havertz, who's at by Leverkusen, and he's he's the youngest ever player to play in the Bundesliga 17, and they played a midweek friendly, and he scored against Fortuna Köln, and I'm I'm working on a piece for him trying to get interviewed from the club, so I think that could be something to watch for on Scouted or sorry yes, SFHandbook.com. Watch for that. Yes, and definitely, definitely. I think Connor Connor has to leave us to go to, to university or something. Yeah, something I mean, silly. also full of young people, so still relevant. Um, but yeah, I mean... <laughs> no yeah, over 24s. I guess, I guess I'll leave you guys to it. Don't ruin the, uh, the podcast about me. Um, <laughs> uh, don't yeah. have to worry about that. I've already ruined it. So uh, th- thank, you, thank you for joining us. And Steve and I are going to wrap up the show by talking about some Serie A. Yes. So... It's been been a little bit of a crazy year over there, and it has been I'm, crazy. I, I mentioned earlier Atalanta. I know you you emailed me some topics, and you were talking about um, Juventus having a bit of a rough patch, but it, that's that's kind of cleared up since a couple weeks ago. And we were talking uh, about I that. But say cleared up, it, it it's a bit better. It, I guess it I, it hasn't necessarily cleared up, but they are still leading the league. I guess that's yes, what I meant. Yeah, <laughs> Champions League is um, always a problem with Juventus. Yeah, I don't know. I really think I really think they have the squad. You know, a lot of no one was mentioning Juventus at the beginning there. It's all Barca, um, Real, Bayern, whoever. We've got the attack, and, we've got the defense, but at the moment we've got no midfield, which is worrying. Um, I think La Gazette have linked us with Leon Tolisso, who's twenty-two, for a, a summer move, and which is interesting because we've been playing Leon in the Champions League. And I think that he would be absolutely perfect. But at this stage, with the midfield we've got, uh, and then also we've got Lemina, he's going to go on the, uh, to the Cup of Nations. Asamoah is going to go to the Cup of Nations. So I think unless we make a few big signings in the midfield, they're talking about Witzel, which is good. And also Boca Juniors is um, Rodrigo Bentancourt. So, yeah, I think without a couple of signings in January in the midfield, uh, where we come up a bit short against the the bigger teams in Europe, which is interesting because a couple of years back everyone was talking about Juventus's midfield, Vidal, Pogba, Marquisio, Peel, but now it's very, 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 very light. Yeah, I know. Um, I've unfortunately, uh, Rolando Mandragora has been injured so far this season. I know him from. He hasn't played a game for us yet. His time at Pescara, yeah, his his loan ended. He came back. He's still nineteen, but. He is a defensive midfielder. I'm not sure if he'd be ready to step into that first team. And then with that injury, I think it was going to be hard for him to get yeah, a loan out of the club. Yeah, probably not. They're talking also about that he might go on loan back to Pescara for the rest of the season to get some CDR experience. So I, I would, I'd be surprised if he came back and slotted straight back into the team. I just don't think it'll happen. No, I don't, I don't think he's ready either. I was just saying if, if you're hurt, it's hard to get a, a transfer her alone. So I think... That's why that's why he's still at the club right now. But yeah. the midfield really could be an issue. Uh, what the club I wanted to talk about a little bit was Atalanta because they're what they're up in fifth. Yeah, they're having an awesome season. I think that also coach is so important. And I think having a long term coach, they've had Gasparini for a while. 
He plays a, a nice three-back formation, which has been very successful in Serie A over the last few years. Um, they've got some... Yeah, they play a, a very a very tight 3-1-4-2. And it's very attacking. Uh, they've got Petania up front, who's having a fantastic season. Frank Kessie, who's a brilliant midfielder, and he's only 19. Uh, yeah, their linking, leading goal scorer is a defensive midfielder. And he's <laughs> Frank Kessie as well. Um, <laughs> but they've got they've got a lot of quality. They've got Conti, who we're talking about in the under twenty ones. Caldar, uh, who's in the under twenty ones. Uh, who else? They got uh, Grassi on loan from Napoli. Uh, there's, yeah, there's just a lot of young quality again, mixed with a bit of experience. Like Papu Gomez, who is a proven Serie A goal scorer, uh, Mauricio Pinilla, uh, and some strong centre backs like Masiello and Zukanovic, who've been around the block a few times in Serie A. So yeah, and their goalkeeper Marcos Partiello, he's only oh, twenty-four he's as well. Yeah. So I think again, it's that key: good coach, a little bit of experience, nice mix of youth, and you can really create something fantastic. And in a league like Serie A, where European places up for grabs yearly with the way the Milan teams, Roma, Lazio, for example, are playing like Sassuolo made the Europa League this season. I think that Atalanta, why shouldn't they make a Europa League spot for next season? I think it's very possible. Yeah, and it, it's good. It's refreshing to see that there is kind of some turnover in some of those places. And another another team that's kind of outperforming at least my expectation would be AS Roma. They're in second. And Milan. <laughs> Milan certainly in, in third, just a point behind. It's, but It's sad to say that Milan are outperforming expectations and they're in the third spot, but you know, that's how it's been the last few years. But again, yeah. I, I think Milan a while ago wanted to implement this youth policy and it just never happened. They signed players like Montolivo, all these old players, Alex, for example, and you just wondered what transfer policy. It was so short-term. There was no future thinking. And then all of a sudden, up pops Donnarumma, Romagnoli, Gustavo Gomez this season. Uh, Even Gianluca Lapadula, he's, he's 26. That's a good age for, for a striker. You know, Instead of that, Carlos Baca and Luis Adriano, they're, 20, they're 30 and 29. But just a list of literally under 23 players that are right in their first team now. Suso, Niang, uh, Pasalic has played a bit part on loan from Chelsea. Locatelli has been fantastic. And if you're on sfhandbook.com, you should read FM Analysis' piece on him, which is awesome. And Davide Calabria, who's been quite good whenever he's had a chance in Serie A. So I think they could pretty much field a full team of under 23s and would be pretty competitive in the league this season so i think they've also got a good coach and milana on their way back which is exciting and really is a bit of a stain on their cross town rivals inter who are a bit of a shambles right now yeah yeah vincenzo montella he is 42 quite quite young for a coach who's no julian nagelsman but <laughs> um yeah I, I saw i saw milan play a friendly against Bayern this summer i didn't see so many of of those youth guys but um it's i mean i are the youth guys that are all involved with the team but it is really good to see milan turning it around because i think a strong they need to be in the champions league is good for syria they need to be in the champions league 
and I think, I think this is a year to come back all right so oh yeah yeah finally sorry rounding out sir uh, i think it's it's been a really tough season for sassuolo i i don't even have to say i think it, it definitely has been they're really toiling they're down in 16th and i yeah. you know the european campaign is weighing yeah. on them well firstly they won a game this season and got three points deducted for fielding an ineligible player. And that was, I think it was in the second or third match day. So that wasn't a good start to the year for them. Um, <laughs> yeah, never really, saying that, never they're, that. They're in 16th, but that's six points clear of the relegation zone at this stage. So And there are some really weak weak teams at the bottom. Crotona, yeah. poor, poor Crotona, it's their first year up. And Palermo is a certain relegation this season. I think the teams that are in the rele- relegation spots right now will get relegated. So I think they're safe, but um, yeah, the Europa League campaigns, I think, has hurt them a bit. Uh, but it's, it's like what we saw a couple. It's too bad Connor had to go because Augsburg. That's yes, kind of what happened yes. to them, and it um, happens a lot. A lot of times this too. season are having the same problems after European match days. Um, but I think yeah, you know, it's a it's a quick turnaround, and yeah, you don't especially have the squad Thursday depth. nights, and then you play on Saturdays and Sundays. It's, and also for Sassuolo, Berardi's been out pretty much, you know, most of the season, and he was on a massive, Duncan's been out. Duncan, out for Duncan. Duncan's important, but Berardi's a big goal scorer, and you know, he was on a massive scoring streak at the start of the season, and since he's been out, the goals have really dried up. So I think there is a little bit to worry about. They won't get relegated, I don't think, but especially if Berardi leaves at the end of the season. Um, yeah, yeah. It's not that they're going to go down. It's the risk of yeah. losing players because of they don't have the ambitions that match yeah. their careers, you know. So if you think about the players that could leave at the end of the season, you've got De Frel, who's been really fantastic for them since he moved. Uh, they're from Cesena. Berardi, um, they only have their right-back, Paul Lirola, on loan for Juventus until the end of, not this season, but the next. And so... A couple of their top top players starting to, you know, look elsewhere potentially, and you worry that in the next season or two they might have that slide back down the table after reaching the heights that they reached last season. Yeah, maybe uh, Alessandro Matri is going to have to step up <laughs> for them for Juventus B. Score the goals he scored for Juventus A. That's what they call us <laughs> all around these parts. Just a feeder club, yeah, just a feeder club. <laughs> they've got they've got Stefano Sensi on loan from Juve. Lirola, uh, Baradu, who's the famous transfer saga that who knows who owns him, but he's somehow linked to Juventus. And Matri, who is an ex-Juventus legend, won many a trophy and is just a cult hero. Yeah, so it, it's it's interesting to follow that. Sometimes you you have to go all the way to the top, I guess. Maybe like Icarus, they flew too close to the sun. and now Leeds they're, United. They're gonna, <laughs> gonna suffer yeah to suffer those effects going forward but i also wanted to talk about uh, a little bit of Liga 1 with monaco you wrote that piece and they're still they're, they're still doing still very, scoring very well i didn't jinx them too bad i think they lost the first game after i i think they got smashed by nice the, the first game after i wrote that piece but now they're back they won that game what was it seven one or six one or something like that six nine. yeah they've scored they've scored six or more goals in league on three times yeah. this year oh, and i'm just in love with that club I'm in love with the project they've got going on. I'm in love with the players that they've got. And I just think that they are going places and they've kind of, they had to take a little detour, but a couple of years wait. And now I think they've got a, a sustainable run at PSG now this year and, in, and into the future with, with the way that they're managing the club. 
Yeah, and importantly, last year they were able to recover enough to get back into the Champions League this season. I think that's always important. Even though, I mean, it's Monaco, they don't necessarily need the money, but for financial fair play reasons, if they have even more money, they can keep buying, keep buying these youngsters and just reloading. They didn't buy all of them this summer necessarily, but last year getting Bernardo Silva. Over the last few years, they brought in Lamar, Bakayoko, Fabinho, Jameson. Yeah, Fabinho, Fabinho's interesting. Fabinho used to play right back, no? Fabinho is a fantastic player. He's a top, top leader. He's versatile, can play right back. Um, at the moment, he's not really needed there. He's, he's been no. He's kind of he's kind of been transitioned to defensive midfield, yeah, and it's allowed him as, it's as, allowed him to go forward. He scored yeah, five goals. This uh, year. Most of his goals are penalties, but I think it, it's just on a needs basis. Really, he can chip in at right back if he needs to, and that yeah, that used to be his main position. But I think he's also beautiful, well, very well accomplished at centre midfield. His passing's tight. Um, his defense is obviously as a right back is is quite good. So I I think he's got all the tools to play playing both positions. Yeah, it's so it's been really interesting watching Monaco as well because you know it's the French league. You don't always see goal fests, and I turned on a match. I I don't remember. I think it was not the their most recent match, but the one before that when they scored six. I turned it on at halftime and it was two one, and then they end up winning six two, and. I was like, "What? This is this is France." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's the old the old adage that it's a farmers' league. But I actually think that the league uh, is 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 has been really exciting this season. It was, apart from from PSG walking it last year, it was also exciting last year. But with teams like Nice and, and Monaco and even Lyon slowly coming back, I think that it's picking up, and youth players are at the center of it at Monaco at Lyon. And at Nice, they're all doing incredibly well. And, and you can see you can see for clubs that's gone wrong, like Marseille, they haven't had the focus on youth. And Marseille just don't have a project, and they're trying to bring in now with the new American owners. But I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, it's that's that's really interesting to follow as well. But you know, I think it's it's the way to go, especially because all the yeah. all the English teams want to poach your talent. So if you're able to and just to sell and then rebuy. Yeah, there's no way to go toe to toe with PSG in the market. So you got to find a work around it. And Monaco with Bernardo Silva, Bappe, Thomas Lamar, Adama Traore, Bakayoko, Fabinho, Toure, Sibe, yeah. young young players, and they are all playing a role. And I think if they can keep it up for the season, that's a big if because they're young and inconsistency and all that. But they can challenge definitely. I mean, they've they've shown us so far. And last topic before we wrap up, where is Gabby Gold, Stephen? Uh, this has been the most interesting transfer I think of the summer, and I've got absolutely no idea what Interplan to do with him. I don't. I, I can't see what he's done wrong. Pretty sure he's fairly match fit. He came straight from the, the Brazilian league season into to City R, but Frank de Boer obviously wasn't keen on putting him straight into the team. Uh, we'll see what Stefano Pioli, the new manager, does. But I just don't understand how you can spend the money to spend on him and just pretty much not give him a chance yet. It, it, it makes no sense to me. And I, I Googled Gabigol yesterday and I saw something about Arsenal and Chelsea and then I just Googled it again now and the top headline was Gabigol to join Empoli. It's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, this is just... 
I, I, I think it's a big shock and it's to see what Gabriel Jesus has done and stayed at Brazil that little bit longer. I think now if Gabby Gold was coming into, into, into the club in January, the club in crisis, new manager, that maybe he would have got his big fresh start. But at the moment he's at the club, they haven't been impressed by him at training or for whatever reason he's not starting. Um, so I just think I, I just find it incredible, and it, it's a, it's really symptomatic of how poorly the clubs run at the moment, and that's not just coming from Juventus fan. I think it's pretty clear to see that from top to bottom, there's no leadership. The new owners haven't haven't given the club a direction as of yet. They tried to spend big on João Mario and, and Gabi Gol and the new manager De Boer, but there isn't quite the direction there yet. Yeah, you spend a third of your money on one player and then you don't even use him. Like, your, your transfer budget, yeah, that's not as cool And not play him is just, yeah, it's crazy. But, yeah, just I just want to see Gabby go playing regular football. Don't don't really care where he goes as long as but I don't think get, a, get a watch him on the week. I'm very interested to see what happens in January. Yeah, so that will be something to watch going forward. But that's all we got today on... Scouted says, Connor, obviously he left us, but you can follow him on Twitter at Connor Garrett. Stephen Genovis, follow him at Maradonomics. And I'm Jack Grimsey at Jack Grimsey. Remember to check out sfhandbook.com. we got all the latest stuff on there. And sorry if you're trying to listen to the podcast on iTunes. We're trying to work that out with them. But you can still find us on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks Peace. for listening. Thank you.